morning. Please be seated. It is a beautiful fall morning, my favorite time of the year. Glad to see you all here today. What a strange gospel story we have this morning. In some ways, I love it, and in some ways, it makes me a little bit crazy. As usual, Jesus is trying to teach a lesson through the telling of a parable. And it begins, as Jesus' parables do, in the realm of first century village life. Jesus' stories often use agrarian and small village images or places and themes that would be familiar to his listeners, things they could relate to and understand. He begins this story telling about a rich man and a poor man. Jesus sets the scene, rich with detail. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Everything is comfortable and elegant. Outside, by the gates of his home, sits a poor man, hungry, starving, covered in sores. We are told that he simply hoped to eat what fell from the rich man's table. He is so pitiful that the dogs come and lick his wounds. It is a sensory-rich description from the purple robes to the sumptuous meals to the dogs licking the sores of the poor man. The contrast between these two men is stark, and the rich man was completely indifferent to the plight of the poor man, showing him no love, sympathy, or compassion. And it's a realistic portrayal of the vast gap between rich and poor in first century Palestine, the visual of the poor man waiting for crumbs at the doors of the rich, is one that would have rung true to the listeners. They witnessed this every day in their town, if they were paying attention. But even from the beginning, there are some unique characteristics of this story. It stands out from other parables we read in the New Testament for a couple of reasons. First, it's the only gospel parable in which a character is named. Did you realize that? We meet the Samaritan man, the shepherd, the rich landowner, and in this story, we are told that the man is named Lazarus. Now, to be clear, this isn't the Lazarus that was friends with Jesus, the Lazarus that Jesus brought back to life. This Lazarus is simply a character in a parable. The name Lazarus is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Eleazar, which translates to God will help. As we will see, it is an apt name for both this particular poor man and for Jesus' friend who was brought back from the dead. But they are two different people. And it's interesting to note that it is the poor man who is named, not the rich man, which is a bit unexpected, or perhaps foreshadowing where this story is going. So we meet these men who live side by side, but in completely different worlds, in a first century village. And then the story pivots, and this is where the story really diverges from the usual parables as we go into a totally different realm, the afterlife. We are not in Kansas anymore. Both men die, and Lazarus is taken immediately by the angels to the bosom of Abraham. Some believe that the righteous and faithful would be with Abraham in their death, So the story is telling us that the poor man has been claimed as one of Abraham's people 
in his death. The rich man, however, is sent directly to Hades, where he is tormented. This story is no parable, para, parallel in the other Gospels. It is often thought to be based on an old folk, folk tale, and it presents a view of the afterlife that is unique in the Bible, out of keeping with much of the belief systems at the time, with other visions of the afterlife, of Hades, as presented in the New Testament, specifically in Acts and Revelation. This is fascinating and curious, and it would be very easy to get lost in this part of the story, to dissect this vision Jesus presents. But I believe it is simply a literary device, a way to move the story forward, to make a moral point, not as proof text for the afterlife. It's a parable, not literal. The purpose of the afterlife story is to enable a stark reversal of fortune between Lazarus and the rich man, an unexpected reversal of fortune. The first century hearers of this parable would not have assumed that the rich man was evil and that the poor man was righteous. On the contrary, wealth in the ancient world was often viewed as a sign of divine favor and virtue, while poverty was viewed as evidence of wickedness. Prosperity was a sign of God's blessing. God had promised prosperity to Abraham and his descendants, after all. This still plays a role in our own concepts of wealth and poverty, even if at a subconscious level. So this reversal of fortune would have been surprising and perhaps confusing to the listeners. The rich man was cast off from Abraham and the family of God. The poor man who they believed would have been poor because he didn't have God's favor, is the one whom Abraham claims as his own. This turns things upside down, but that's a common theme, especially in Luke. Remember, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And, and so Luke uses this story to make this point once again. If we don't allow ourselves to get sidetracked by this wild afterlife vision, the moral of the story is actually very simple and informs our life right here and right now. And no, it, it's not as simple as saying rich people are evil or money is bad. Like Travis discussed last week, money and wealth in and of itself is not evil. The rich man's sin is not his wealth, but that during his earthly life, he doesn't bother to even see Lazarus, despite his daily presence at the entrance of his home, or presumably to see any of those suffering around him. Our wealth in this life is irrelevant to God, not a sign of favor or virtue or even of wickedness. But what we do with that wealth and how we interact with one another does matter. We hear that in the passage from 1 Timothy today. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. The rich man didn't show generosity or compassion or care for Lazarus. He turned away from him, refusing to even acknowledge his presence or that he was a child of God. 
Maybe if he'd seen him for all that he was, once an infant, a boy, a son, a brother, a husband, a father, a grandfather, a friend. If he had seen him as a man with hopes and dreams and hurts and disappointments, if he had seen him as one beloved by God, then this story would have ended differently. But he looked away every single day. But he knew he was there. We know that because when the rich man saw Lazarus with Abraham, he recognized him and called him by name. And when he realized what had happened and why, where he was and why, rather than repenting or asking Lazarus for forgiveness, he asked for Lazarus's help, help that he had been unwilling to give in his own life. He asks Abraham to send Lazarus to him to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool his tongue, for he was in agony in the flames. Abraham explains, child, remember that during your lifetime, you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And the chasm between them is too wide to cross. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be filled. The, men, the man then asks that warnings are given to those who are still living so that they can be spared what he's going through. And Abraham points out that the teaching on how to treat the poor and the hungry and the stranger, the least of us, has pa been passed on from generation to generation. The message was there, and the rich man chose not to heed it, and neither would his brothers. The rich man says that they would listen if someone came back from the dead to tell them. But Abraham says that even that wouldn't convince them. Here, Luke has Jesus explaining the simple fact, even the words of someone who has been risen from the dead will fall on deaf ears if those listening don't want to hear. If they did hear and heed those words, what a different world we would live in. Truly living by Jesus' commandment to love, truly seeing, welcoming, showing compassion for and recognizing all, all as children of God. When I was living in Berkeley, I would go to Pete's Coffee on Solano every weekend and sometime during the week. And there was a homeless man who sat out in front on a five-gallon pail. In Berkeley, there's a monthly homeless newspaper called Street Spirit. The homeless can purchase the paper for five cents a copy and then, and then sell it for a donation. The going rate when I lived there was about a dollar. I think it's up to two now. Whatever they're able to make goes directly into their pockets so they can purchase the essentials of in life with some dignity intact. It is a fabulous program, and it's actually a pretty good paper. So anyway, this one man sat out in front of Pete's every day for years, decades really. Even now, sometimes when I go home, I see him, his hair graying as is mine. And I walked past him every morning that I went to, when I went to get my coffee. And once a month, I would stop and buy a paper. Once in a while, I would throw the change for my coffee in the bucket. Once in a very great while, I would even toss in a 10 or 20. And sometimes, most times, if I'm really honest, I wouldn't put anything in the bucket at all. 
But I always smiled at him and said, hello, how are you today? And he would look up and smile and say, better now, thanks. Even on the days when all he got was that smile. We each understood that in that brief moment of connection, eye contact, and a smile, I was acknowledging his humanity, and he was acknowledging mine. I don't tell this story to sound righteous. I have averted my eyes as many times as you have. This was a unique experience for me, but I realized as I, as I was thinking about him this week that I never heard his story. I never even learned his name. We shared a smile. It wasn't enough. I know that, but it was what I had to give, and he received it with grace. And maybe it was enough. We go through this life so afraid to connect with the other. Maybe they want something from you. Maybe they're dangerous. Maybe you'll be forced to take a hard look at yourself to acknowledge the huge chasm between your life and theirs. Maybe you'll have to acknowledge your privilege, all the gifts that have been given to you in this life by virtue of being who you are. Maybe the color of your skin or where you were born or that your parents were educated or employed or that you grew up in a safe and secure home, that you never went hungry. Maybe you'll even see a little piece of yourself in them. Maybe you'll have to acknowledge that their humanity, you'll have to acknowledge their humanity, that they too are beloved, a child of God. And maybe that reality is too painful to face as the dogs lick the sores on their bodies. With this parable running through my mind, another story keeps creeping in, and it's the recent story in the media about the Venezuelan immigrants. They were put on an airplane in Florida and flown to Martha's Vineyard, a tiny, albeit very wealthy, island off the Massachusetts coast. I don't want to talk about the politics of it. This is not political for me. It is a beautiful expression of faith and love in action. Watching the warm and loving welcome that this group of exhausted, frightened, homeless and hopeless, and yet deeply relieved and grateful individuals received from the people of Martha's Vineyard filled my heart. It was beautiful. They were met with a loving embrace, food and water. It represents everything that Jesus asks of us. My mind keeps returning to Matthew 25, 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I watched on the news as the people who had welcomed them said their goodbyes, hugging each and every person, tears in their eyes as they left. They saw them. They saw that they were also children of God. They didn't hesitate to find out why they had come, verify who they were, what right they had to be there. They saw the face of God within them and simply cared for them. Does this feel a little like a non sequitur from going from Lazarus and the rich man to Venezuelan immigrants? It isn't. It's exactly the same. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Do good. Be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. Show compassion. 
acknowledge the humanity in one another. Recognize we are each children of God. Love one another because God loves us.